0: Hello everybody, this is Dr. Deanna Minnick. Welcome to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast, where we explore how you can get some more color, creativity, and healing in your everyday life. We get to look at the spectrum of eating, living, feeling, and creating that you're all about. So let's dive into the inspiration and information rainbow that awaits us. This is Dr. Deanna. Welcome to this session of the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast. In this interview, I am talking with Dr. Michelle Seguin, and it's really delightful to hear her story of how she has taken food as medicine from the concept of it into the practical application of it into her community. So, as you listen to the podcast, you might want to be thinking about your community, what you can do to establish more connectedness as it relates to food, eating, good, healthy lifestyle, and really supporting each other as a unified network. So, you might get some ideas from Dr. Seguin. So, take a listen in and be ready to be inspired. Hello everybody, this is Dr. Deanna. Welcome to this episode of the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast. And in this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Michelle Seguin. And I think you're gonna find that this is uh, pretty intriguing to learn about her own personal journey and how that has now taken her into her professional endeavors, especially as it relates to community health. So welcome, Michelle to the uh, to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much Deanna.
0: It's great to have you here and um, I really since we met at an IFM module some some time ago and we met on the internet even just through Facebook you know I've just really have been craving to have a conversation with you about your interests about you as a person and I, I really feel like you have so much potential to bring to the forefront so I'm really excited about having this discussion with you.
1: Oh, Thank you.
0: Well, one of the questions that I ask everybody as they come on the show is a a very easy question. (laughs) Nothing too (laughs) difficult. Uh, Since this show is all about color and living more vibrantly, I thought I would ask you, what is your favorite color?
1: Sure. Um, My favorite color is purple.
0: Purple. Okay, mm-hmm. and you know we're heading into the year of ultraviolet. You probably know that Pantone puts out a color of the year. So for 2018, the color for that year is ultraviolet. You know, it's a beautiful, Ooh. rich purple color.
1: Have you always yeah. liked
0: purple? Is that like a new thing for you, or no? I've I've
1: always been drawn to purple, even from you know childhood. I do have to say, you know, green is a very close second, but purple has always been my favorite color.
0: Yeah, it's, um, you know, and those two colors go so well together, green and purple. Yeah. With purple, I usually think of the brain. I think of intuition. I think of moods. I think of neurology. You know, there's just something there with that color purple, you know, blue-purple foods and the brain. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, really a fascinating color. So, Michelle, tell us more about how you got, first of all, I'd like to know a little bit about you growing up and and how did you even get into medicine? How did you even think to go and become a medical doctor?
1: Sure, yeah. Um, I think that, you know, for me, my my journey into medicine and healing and service, uh, it really started at a young age. Um, Like so many people... You know, the, the events of our childhood really shape who we become. And um, for me, mine started at a young age, um, actually within my family. Mm. Um, my mother um, was disabled from mental illness, and that resulted in divorce uh, really early on. And during that time, I, I became a caregiver for her and my younger sister. And that really cultivated my compassion and empathy. And uh, really, just my my eagerness to help other people, and so um, that experience combined with you know just as in, I was in school, I always was a gr- you know good student. I love learning. I, I still love learning, and um, I was always drawn to science and biology and nature and kind of the inner workings of the human body and um, you know the support of my family and and teachers and extended. Family, friends—you know—they really encouraged me to kind of follow my dreams and to go on into medicine. Um, I was a first-generation college student, and so this was really new territory for many of us in our family. Um, I didn't really have any mentors in medicine or health-related fields, and so I—I I kind of had to discover and do a lot of learning on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and so
0: yeah you know it's interesting I'm reflecting on this because you know you being pulled in at a very young age to be a caregiver and and really being Mm -hmm. there for your mother being there for your family you know not everybody would immerse themselves into medicine right after having that experience per se you know Mm -hmm. I've talked with some people who from a very young age they they have had a lot of responsibility and they almost Mm -hmm. shy away from it in more of a self-protective way. Mm -hmm. So what I find really fascinating is that you went head first into it. It was almost like that was what really opened you up. And this was a doorway into something bigger.
1: Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I I really think it gave me kind of that lens into healing and, and also the healer that was within And so um, I just had to have that experience to to open that door. Did
0: Did you ever feel like you had to heal yourself? I mean, was it always directed outward towards family or your mother? Or did you go through a period of your life where you experienced your own crisis, whether it was an emotional crisis, a physical crisis, an injury, an accident? Was there anything that really brought it even closer to home?
1: Yeah, I, and that's a really good question, too. I would say I'm kind of in the heal thyself mode right now. And so, um, you know, much of my journey and, you know, my ambitions with, you know, going to medical school and finishing residency, you know, those were always the, the goals that I had in mind. And so, like many people, you sort of put your own needs aside, as you're, you know, going forward with that kind of intensive training and experience. And so, when I finished all of that, um, I really found myself quite out of balance <laughs> and kind of, um, you know, depleted in, in areas of my life. And so for the past, you know, two and a half, three years after finishing residency, I've really focused a lot of my, um, my time and even just my additional, you know, training with functional medicine, looking at how can I work to restore balance in my life um, and really heal myself.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine, you know, when people go into functional medicine, it's almost like it's a reenchantment. It's almost like they have to get that, that passion back because it, somewhere along the line, the system broke it down or there mm-hmm. was something that happened, uh, where it was just too depleting. The word that you used, depleting was very good. You know, one of the things that, um, I noticed about you when I read your bio, being that you are a board certified family medicine physician, you're an educator, you know, you're really into functional medicine, but there's something deeper buried in your bio that I thought was fascinating. And maybe because I resonate with this a little bit, maybe that's why I keyed into it, but you seem to have a love of nature. You know, Mm -hmm. if I, if I look at where you're from, you're from the upper part of Michigan state in the United States for those listening internationally You really seem to be into gardening and plants and food, and it's almost like this love of nature, and it doesn't seem like it's just isolated to food. It seems like you are really, uh, yeah, connected in. I don't know. Tell me more about that. Am I picking that up correctly, or would you say that? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I I think that's an honor for you to say so, Um, and really, um, you know, those aren't typical, I guess, features that you think about as a physician, per se, in in kind of the conventional context. Um, But for me, I've always, you know, growing up here, you know, it's a a beautiful area. I mean, if you love the outdoors, you know, everything is available to you. Um, And so that was always very deeply rooted within, you know, my, my being. And um, as I, you know, finished my training and returned back Home to practice in a in a small town, and um, I've really enjoyed you know reconnecting with nature. And um, during my you know medical training, I was somewhat removed from that <laughs> environment, and um, I I didn't realize how much a part of it, how much a part of me. you know, being within nature is and also how much, you know, health and healing comes from um, time in nature. And so that's really something that I've embraced um, more so in the past year. Um, My husband and I purchased property outside of town and there's a small cabin there. And so that's kind of our retreat. We spend, you know, our free time and our weekends there. Um, It's nice to disconnect and to unwind and to experience the seasons Um, to, you know, be able to uh, go for walks in the woods, Um, we started gardening. And so, you know, I just, I, the more time I spend in nature, the more lessons and and wisdom I see coming through. And I want to pass that on to, you know, my family, as well as my patients um, in their journey towards health.
0: You know, you just said a number of things there that were very, um, you know, they just got my neurons firing. This, This whole idea of spending time in nature as a form of reset or rejuvenation, the fact that you go with your husband on the weekends and you're learning through nature. I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on whether or not people have become chronically ill because they are disconnected from nature. You know, I think that in functional medicine or even integrative medicine or allopathic medicine, no matter what stream of medicine we're looking at, it's almost like we always go to the mechanism. And it's kind of Mm -hmm. like, let's look at the root cause, right? Okay, inflammation, oxidative stress, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: indigestion, or we're not absorbing correctly. But I want to go one level or maybe a couple levels deeper than that. Mm -hmm. Like, how did this all happen? And and do you (laughs) think that nature and being disconnected from our own nature and being disconnected from the nature that's outside of us, whether through a forest or mountains or being by a lake, do you think that this has played into chronic disease? And I know that you're not expecting me to ask this at all. And it's kind of a, I'm sure your patients aren't asking you about them spending time in nature and how that correlates. But I'm kind of curious because I feel like you again are very connected into that web.
1: Sure. Yeah. And um yeah, I I definitely feel that there is, you know, that it's a contributing factor to chronic disease. I mean, on on various levels. I mean, even just superficially when you think about, you know, our sedentary lifestyle you know vitamin D exposure I mean in, in that regard but I do think it's it's even on a much deeper level um, and one uh, you know writer and, and physician that I have also followed in this journey and has helped me in this on this path is dr. Daphne Miller in um, her work with the jungle effect and and pharmacology pharmacology with an F not a pH mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, you know her her work and, and studies looking at, you know, indigenous diets, and looking at you know different cultures around the world, and how you know eating cl- as close to nature as possible within your own environment, you know the health benefits from that, um, and also in her later her recent book, Pharmacology, looking at you know just the benefits of you know eating seasonally and local in more of a you know modern context in in the world that we live in now, you know when. How important that is um, from a nutritional standpoint, but even just from, you know, and a community and a community and identity standpoint, you know, being a part of something greater than oneself.
0: Mm, I like that a lot. You know, that's that's how I define spirituality is it's a sense mm-hmm. of interconnection, it's being connected mm-hmm. to the great big whole, and mm-hmm. realizing that how we act is influencing everything else. So what you right. just described there, it almost makes me feel like, well, well, eating is a spiritual act then, if if that's the case, right? That, you know, mm-hmm. the, that if we are eating seasonally, we're eating in accordance with nature and what nature mm-hmm. is presenting to us, then there's that sense of, again, that interconnection. You know, I think that you as a physician are so unique in the way that you actually see food. Because, first of all, not many physicians get much in the way of nutrition education during medical school. So this is obviously something that you brought to the the surface that's that's very different than your colleagues. Did you come upon this whole idea of food as medicine because it was just something that you were raised with or that you kind of stumbled upon along the way of your professional journey or what do you, you know, just how did you connect into that concept of food is medicine? Because it definitely ties into what you're doing now with community health.
1: Yeah. And, and I would say that, um, I came across this concept and philosophy, you know, after my traditional training, um, I, you know, finished conventional family medicine residency, started practice in a, you know, my, um, rural community and, you know, like everywhere else in the United States, I mean, just the extent of chronic disease that I would see every single day in the clinic, um, you know, seven out of 10 deaths in the United States are due to chronic disease. And, you know, I, I just felt like the tools that I had, Um, were only either maintaining chronic disease, there was really no um, ability or limited ability to reverse disease, um, as well as to help promote health. And those those are the reasons I I really went into medicine and was drawn to family medicine, because I I enjoy connections uh, with with my patients and in, you know, Building those relationships, but I also I don't want to keep someone in a state of disease I want them to move on the spectrum closer to health and well-being uh, And so I I kind of knew that I had to look outside of You know what I was taught in medical school, which was quite limited as far as nutrition and that's how I found uh, functional medicine and um, more of the, the food is medicine uh, philosophy Um, I did have the good fortune of attending a conference a couple years ago in lower Michigan um, where Daphne Miller spoke. And so I I had a chance to to talk with her and the conference was really quite innovative. It was a a one day workshop um, where, and it was entitled Farms, Food and Health. And so it was open to healthcare providers, um, health administrators, farmers, um, other educators, you know, school administrators, and we all, all of these people in one room together, where we are all talking about the same thing, how can we promote health, but in the context of food. Um, and I just thought it was such an extraordinary opportunity, because all of us are working in silos, there's no ability to really, or infrastructure to communicate between each of our professions. And so to have all of these people where we're all kind of, you know, working on you know, are trying to promote health from our own professions, but have the ability to come together, you know, to see where the connections are and to collaborate. And so I learned about the Prescription for Health program while I was at that conference. And um, the program um, had started in lower Michigan, uh, in Washtenaw County. Uh, It was put on through a, a local health department in collaboration with their farmer's market. And I thought, wow, this is really the direction we need to be moving if we're going to start shifting chronic disease um, in our country. And and understanding that much of chronic disease is really, um, you know, social diseases. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And so understanding how can we, you know, start to create a culture of health in our community and understanding that access to food, you know, equity, education about food, (laughs) all of these things are integral, to actually making sustained change.
0: This is so exciting. I mean, I'm jotting some notes. I'm so curious about this Prescription for Health program and what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I I'm, can you talk through it just a little bit more so that, um, you know, how long has this initiative been underway? What do you think is the biggest limiting factor as, as you consider all of these different pieces within the 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 whole structure of really getting good food to people for healing. You know, what do you see as the challenges? What are the opportunities here? Um, especially as you've been engaged, just, just give us kind of a, a snapshot into this organization and what you've been doing.
1: Sure. Um, so the Prescription for Health program is a community health initiative that is aimed at improving fruit and vegetable consumption um, for program participants, as well as supporting healthy behavior change among, you know, individuals with chronic disease, and so the program um, it provides vouchers for participants to purchase fresh local produce at um, affiliated farmers markets, and so it's kind of one. It's a it's a pilot program where you can connect healthcare and local food systems to promote health. Um, And so the program was initially developed, at least this Prescription for Health program, um, in Washtenaw County in lower Michigan in 2014. Um, Funding came from an outside um, uh, nonprofit uh, foundation. And since 2014, you know, there are more than a dozen sites that have developed across the state of Michigan. Um, Our program in uh, the Houghton-Hancock area is the first in the Upper Peninsula. Um, So that was exciting for us. Um, The program here um, was a collaboration between my health center and our newly founded downtown Houghton Farmers Market. Um, Our community here is about um, 15,000 people in the the two cities, um, the two nearby cities. And so we have a a new farmers market that started up two years ago. Um, We have about six vendors that come every week to provide local produce. And um, so probably, I mean, initially starting out, the, uh, the limiting factor is a supply mm-hmm. of, of fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, you know, where we are in our northern climate, we have a, a limited growing season. And so in order for these types of programs to really thrive, you know, we have the supply of participants, you know, coming from healthcare organizations for referrals, but we really need to support our local food systems, and so you know, doing that you know takes uh, participation from various organizations. You know, it's it has to be interdisciplinary uh, collaboration, uh, and so for our program here, it was a we were able to obtain funding from a, a local a community foundation to uh, fund our our pilot. It lasted for 10 weeks, and so patients were enrolled from my practice. Um, They had to have at least one chronic disease and be willing to come to the farmer's market um, and able to, whether it be, you know, because obviously transportation can be a limiting factor for people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we uh, enrolled 34 patients. They received $10 a week for vouchers to purchase uh, fruits and, and vegetables at the market. And then we also had a community health worker who uh, would provide a weekly seasonal recipe Mm. as well as educational handouts. And um, I did use handouts from IFM's toolkit. um, So that was a wonderful way to try to bring in some of the uh, great material that IFM offers. So, you know, I was giving, I gave out handouts on eating healthy, you know, eating on a budget, eating locally and seasonally, you know, uh, it just, so it was wonderful to have those resources to
0: use. Um, that is fantastic! What an initiative! I mean, am I, uh, I? I can feel the blood moving through my blood vessels faster. <laughs> <laughs> this is just exciting, and and so now my mind goes into this next question: is which is, you know, are are we getting people to eat the rainbow of colors in this way? You know, right. I, I'm curious about the yeah. different foods that you have available to people in Michigan. Like you said, that that can be a limiting factor. But mm-hmm. what have you seen as far as? changing how people perceive food, changing, you know, just getting them out of their food ruts? Are they eating more colors? How do you find that these 34 patients that you have going through the program, have their lives changed in significant ways? I have so yeah. many questions for you, but you oh, know, yeah. go, go wherever you want to go with this one.
1: <laughs> oh, so when I, you know, and starting this program, I, I had many of the same questions. And so I thought, you know, if we're going to do an initiative like this, I also want to, you know, track it over time and look at it from us from subjective and objective, you know, standards to see are we actually impacting, you know, someone's life? Are we changing their life? Are we improving their health? And so um with the program, I also worked with um our local university and went through their IRB to do research based off of this program. And so I um, created a a pre and post program survey that was looked at um, overall, you know, dietary intake, you know, fruit and vegetable intake, um, as far as also health literacy regarding uh, nutrition. And then I incorporated um, the Promise 10 uh, tool to look at just Objectively, how can we measure, uh, you know, scores related to quality of life, fatigue, um, mood, you know, because food, it affects all. It affects our total health, right? (laughs) It's not just our weight or our blood pressure. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's affecting our mental well-being, our emotional well-being. And so I wanted to objectively try to measure uh, changes, you know, in program participants. And so um, we completed the program um, in October Um, patients, you know, prior to the start of the program, we had a pre-program enrollment session where everyone came to the clinic. We, you know, we took vitals and weights and blood pressure. Um, They completed the surveys, and then we did the same thing after the program completed. Um, And I'm working with a student right now to start doing all of the uh, data analysis. Um, But, you know, from a preliminary standpoint, um, we have actually seen, you know, improvements in scores um, let's see. So from the preliminary outcomes, we had an increase in fruit and vegetable consumption by 1.2 cups per day, Mm. which is amazing. Right. (laughs) And then, um, there really were no changes in blood pressure or weight that were statistically significant. And I wasn't anticipating that with a small sample size and a, you know, short duration for the Mm -hmm. program. Mm Um, but the promise scores improved, Statistically significant in scores related to overall health status, quality of life, physical health, fatigue, and their ability to carry out social activities and their roles in society or within their family. And so, for me, I mean that that's that's where it's at. I Mm -hmm. I, I really, you know, like that's what we're trying to do. I mean, if we can improve someone's overall health status, if they're able to you know, carry out their roles in their home and their family, their work, their quality of life is better through better access to fresh fruits and vegetables. I mean, that that's, that's what I'm trying to achieve. And so I am excited to look deeper within the surveys and to, you know, finish our um, data analysis this spring. And we're hoping to, you know, potentially get a publication or, you know, present at a a conference. But um, what I really want to do is use this information so that we can grow the program and help expand similar programs around the state. Um, in addition to the you know surveys, we also hosted a dinner um, for all program participants um, so that I could share some of the highlights from the program. Um, but I also wanted them to share their stories with one another as well as members of the uh, foundation board and the hospital because I can tell people you know what the numbers say, but it's so much more powerful to hear from someone individually and to hear their story. And so we did have a panel of participants who shared, you know, how this impacted their lives and um, it moved many to tears. I didn't even have Kleenex. I wasn't prepared. Oh my goodness. (laughs) You know, I mean, just the beautiful stories of how, you know, this changed the way their family looks at food. You know, it it was a family event. Um, They brought their children to the market. They, you know, they'd never tried kale before, and now their kids are always asking for the green stuff. (laughs) Um, You know, like, they're going, you know, afterwards, they would go to the library, you know, which was uh, next door and one of our partners Mm. and, you know, participate in other programs. Um, And even in some of the write-in portions of the surveys, you know, participants said that, you know, they looked forward to Tuesdays. It was the only time they got out of the house. I mean, Mm. like, it. You know, so for for me, I, I know, you know, ten dollars a week um, it may not seem like a, a lot of money, but I think for for anyone participating in the program, you know, also the larger, you know, value in being a part of something greater, being a part of a community you know, there, there's really no price on that.
0: <laughs> there isn't. You know, I think um, we know that term sociogenomics, mm-hmm. really the impact of the whole society of our social networks and those that support us on really mm-hmm. the optimization of our gene expression. Yep. And it's so beautiful how you've seen this unfold and blossom I mean, all the way to the panels you're describing. I'm sure that the farmers felt very rewarded as well.
1: Absolutely. And, and I forgot to mention, we invited them to the dinner as well. And so because I wanted them to give their um, feedback on the program, and, and it was very helpful for them. I mean, not just from a financial standpoint, but also, you know, for, you know, growth within their, you know, within their farm and being a part of the community um, and being a part of the local food system. And so it was rewarding for them to be able to kind of give back and to help support health in, in that regard um so
0: yeah so michelle if i'm i'm imagining that i'm listening to this podcast after it's done and it's posted and i'm thinking to myself oh my goodness i want one of those in my community Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering how do we create the groundswell it's it's back to the margaret mead quote of you know starting with one individual and and there we make a difference and you've already been working with this group in Michigan, is there a website for the Prescription Health Initiative so that we can read more about it and maybe look at that as a model? And then secondly, what I want to know as we bring this podcast to a close is, how do we start our own grassroots initiative? So let's just say that we don't have a lot of money, but we have a lot of passion. We, we really would love to get something like this growing in our own state, in our own town. How might we go about changing our community through food?
1: Absolutely. Um, so in regards to the Prescription for Health program here in Michigan, uh, the original founders of the program do have a website, and I can provide that to you for the web, for your website. Um, and on their website, they actually have an implementation guide that's free for download, And it helps guide you step-by-step through implementing this type of program in your community. And so I found the resource to be invaluable here. um, And I'm sure others will around the country. So I can get that resource to you. Great.
0: What is the website?
1: Or do you... Um, Yep. It is um, ewashtenaw.org. ewashtenaw.org.
0: Okay. And maybe maybe you can spell... That eWashGenaw part. So, is it K E? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, no, it's E W A S H T E N A W dot org.
0: Oh, eWash. Okay, perfect. So, in, on that site, we'll find the implementation guide. We'll we'll see the the efforts that are underway, and we'll be able to perhaps take that as a role model or a template of what we might create in our own communities. Absolutely. And then are there other things that you might advise us of uh, if we are interested in growing something, starting something? You know, I, I think back months ago, or gosh, even a year, over a year ago now, you know, I was trying to figure out, how do I get something going in my own community? So I started a meetup group. So right. I, I'm wondering, you know, just what are the, the small things that we can do? just like if you can list like three things, what are small things that maybe aren't going to take a whole lot of time, a whole lot of money. um, But again, if we have the passion and we want to put forth some effort, these kinds of things can be done and we can get that ball moving. So I'm kind of curious, since you've been doing this a while, what might be some things that we can do in our own communities?
1: Sure. Um, So I think one thing that's really important is understanding the needs of your community. Um, And so, you know, because the things that we think our community may need are not actually maybe the top priorities for your individual community. And so um, with the uh, implementation of the Affordable Care Act, um, all nonprofit hospitals and most communities now are actually putting together a community needs assessment and so that is a document that's actually it's available for free. You can find it online for your individual community. And what it does is it's a, a collaborative report put out usually by healthcare institutions, uh, local schools, health departments that give you demographic information about the people in your community. But it also, you know, so you'll un- you know understand who you're working with, um, and also what the top health, you know care priorities are in your community. And so understanding the needs of your community are important when you start to move forward with, um, you know, developing initiatives. So I would say look for your community needs assessment and try to identify what are your top priorities and how you can move forward. That's excellent.
0: You're right. Uh, You know, just jumping the gun and kind of diving in there uh, might not be the, the best first step. It might be good to just kind of pull back, maybe poll people, survey, get to know where people are at, and maybe work with some health providers if, Mm -hmm. you know, they can really provide the bird's eye view of some of the chronic conditions that people are dealing with in in your community too.
1: Yeah. And then I guess the second thing would be if you're really interested in in food, um, you know, really look at what is your local food system like you know, not every community has a farmer's market yet. Maybe they have a, a co-op, um, you know, look at what, how can you support your local farmers and the local food system. Um, and, you know, there are many opportunities. Oftentimes there are different agencies or boards that you can become a part of, um, you know, attend a meeting and see what they're doing. A lot of times there isn't as much promotion within communities about local food. Um, and so, recognizing that, you know, in order for people to uh, purchase local and to help support local, they need to know what is available locally. Mm
0: hmm. Mm hmm. That's true. Uh, you know, I live in the Pacific Northwest. And so, for us, it's a lot of fish, it's a lot of berries, it's mm-hmm. a lot of greens. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought about, wow, what a per-, you know, I, I really like yeah. that type of um, eating. Um, and so, it really brings us again back to what. What you might need nutritionally living in these particular areas. So yeah, we may have to do a little bit of excavating to find out what kinds of foods are grown there, and talking with farmers and seasonal calendars of you know when things come into yeah. um, the the market, how we can access. So I think I love that. That's that's wonderful. Anything um, else? And, that, in the, did you want to go with a number three? Oh, that's good. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess um,
1: number three, I think, is really just don't be afraid to collaborate and to look mm. outside maybe the traditional sphere that you work in. Um, and so, you know, an example of, of how I, I did that in, in my journey is I, you know, after I went to this last conference, I even attended the National Farm to School Conference, which is really not one that healthcare providers or physicians attend. Um, but I was just really intrigued at how can we get, you know, better food into our, our our schools and for our children because they're our future. And so, you know, one way would be if you if you know work with your local schools and see, you know, what are they doing as far as, um, you know, local farm to school initiatives, because that's another really great place, you know, to start. It's a, obviously a major institution within all of our communities, you know, our kids are our future and and so important. And so that's another great place to step if you're looking for, um, you know, a small small project to get going.
0: Yes, and I share your passion on that one for sure, um, especially in the schools. Uh, over the past months, I um, I did a couple of initiatives with kids. And so I, was, I remember I went and I did a demo at a high school of, you know, how can you make a rainbow smoothie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have to kind of perfect this a bit. You know, for me, it was just right. kind of trial and error and trying out different things with different groups of kids, what works, what doesn't. And, you know, I think we're getting there. I think that healthy eating, the more we talk about it, the more it becomes accepted. It's not so different. It doesn't make you on the outside. It puts you on the inside. And that's why I love just talking the rainbow, because I kind of feel like I can talk with my three-year-old niece about the rainbow, and I can talk with Mm -hmm. a 13-year-old about the rainbow, and I can talk with a 73-year-old about the rainbow you know and we can all just really collect in that place of color and really see food as art and and underneath all those whole food plant colors are so many nutrients mm-hmm. but Michelle this has been such a joy to talk with you about this i i hadn't realized all the intricacies of everything i mean i definitely knew of your efforts here but there is just so much it's it sounds really rich and deep and um You've taken the time to go uh, and explore within your community. And like you said, collaborate in ways that are perhaps unexpected. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. we, we, we won't even know uh, what we will venture into unless we start exploring. So this has been very illuminating. And I bet your practice is taking on a whole other feel now that you've really joined it to this whole idea of community health. Because I kind of feel like that becomes the earth, that becomes the soil in which all of your other initiatives, your medical initiatives, can really spring forth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I never really envisioned my career, you know, taking me in in this direction. But I I can see now that it, it really is all connected and the health of the individual, the family, and the community are so, you know, they're indivisible. And so although you know, I spend the majority of my time, you know, on an individual one-on-one basis in, you know, a small exam room, I really want to start working beyond um, the walls of my clinic and really trying to impact my community. Mm.
0: This has been fantastic. Again, I know that you're busy, um, you're a busy physician. And so thank you for taking the time today to talk with us about community health, community nutrition, and really getting access to colorful food for so many people. Michelle, how can we find you? Do you have a website or a way for people who would want to see you that live in your local area or even within Michigan? You know, we all know somebody probably who knows somebody that might be within your state or um, just interested in these these initiatives. So I'm not sure if you have a website or something that you'd like to to leave with all of us
1: sure yeah I do have um a, you know a personal website that I'm building and I'm planning to start blogging about some of these activities in the upcoming year and so you can find me at um, drmcguin.com um, and that's d-r-m-s-e-g-u-i-n.com um, so yeah that would be a great place to follow along
0: Wonderful. Well, again, this has been uh, really a delight. I've learned a lot, and uh, this gives me great hope for our future, for, for children, for communities, and for really getting back on track with with food. So thanks so much, Michelle, for everything that you're doing and, and for who you are, truly.
1: Thank you so much, Deanna. It's an honor to talk with you and, and to be a part of this, this movement together. Thank you.